DJ and PK want to remind you Valentine's Day is not far away. Flowers make the perfect gift. Jimmy's Flowers, a longtime partner with Zone, can make it easy for you. Just visit them at jimmysflowers.com. Valentine's Day is on a Sunday this year. You need to plan ahead. Jimmy's Flowers at jimmysflowers.com. Time to welcome in Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. Steve, good morning. Good morning, guys. Steve, you ever mess up Valentine's Day? You know, coaching in the middle of an intense season, ever get away from you? Uh, yeah, probably did. <laughs> you just so I, guilty. I, I have uh, a, a, a great wife who uh, doesn't make a big deal out of holidays, doesn't have great expectations, and, and uh, I'm usually the one that, you know, it's my birthday and I'm expecting something, and it was your birthday yesterday? <laughs> I mean, it's not that bad, but it, it, she, she definitely is not one that feels that uh, we have to do a lot of things. You know, it's kind of like you guys growing up. I mean, I don't know about you and your families, but I remember having two birthday parties in my life. When I turned 16, and then my wife had one for me when I was 40. I mean, I don't know if either one of you have grandchildren, but it's like a full-on, full-blown-out uh birthday party for the grandkids every year. I mean, it's kind of like, what can we do this year to outdo what we did last year, you know? <laughs> and uh, it's crazy. I mean I, I mean, I tell my kids, I go, what are you doing? You know, they're spending uh, so much money, first of all. And number two, you're creating an expectation that uh, I don't think it's healthy. But that's just the nature of it <laughs> in this day and age, man. Families are taking their kids and doing special things every time there's a birthday, man. So uh, no, I am. Uh, I live with a, a good woman who understands that I was coaching, and we'll, we'll find the times to go out and, and celebrate. But oftentimes, you're on the road, you're playing a game. You know, it's not happening. But uh, yeah, I, I've got a good woman, and uh, she <laughs> she doesn't get too excited about those things. I know some guys' wives do, and you got you got to be good. But some, once in a while, I have to, not necessarily forgotten, but just never got to it. So it's sort of like bombastic statements when it comes to sports. You've known that. You've known me for about 25 years now. And one of the things that I think I'm, I'm able to say with some level of credence is when you take all aspects of offense in basketball for a center, this Jokic kid might be, and I believe is the best. When you consider everything now in, you know, back in the early days or just in the 80s, 90s, centers – a lot of them weren't outside shooting threes, didn't average over eight assists. When you factor in everything, to me, Jokic is that guy. He's just unbelievable. What is your response? You know, I, I, I really, when you start looking at the all the things that he does, now, I mean, you look at a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar who, who had the ability to, to do special things or Will Chamberlain, you know, you're some of these iconic centers, but I have never seen anybody that was so gifted offensively with the ball, decision making, shooting the ball. You know whether it was around the basket. Uh, he has got so many different ways to get to the basket, and he and he does it. He does it with great poise. He, he does it at his pace and his time. And I can't imagine playing this guy and not feeling like you have to double him every time he touches the ball, even at the high post sometimes. And so and I, I completely agree. And I've heard I've heard comments recently that you could make an argument that he's the greatest offensive post player ever in terms of full breadth of what he can do and what he has done. Um, 
you know, I, I don't know if if I would completely agree with that, but I, I would say you could certainly make a really good argument. And uh, you know, good post, great post players, you know, they're never in a hurry, never, ever, ever in a hurry. And you know, and he runs. I mean, he's in a system that's kind of a Princeton type system, where there are back cuts and curl cuts and and uh, dribble drives and, and and I mean, he he. He fits in perfect. I remember playing Air Force. And you remember back in the mid '90s, early uh, excuse me, in the uh, yeah, in the in the early '90s, mid '90s, yeah. Air Force wasn't really good. I mean, they they just didn't have a system. And once they adopted that Princeton system, and they took the intelligence and the work ethic, and 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 and, and get, mind you, they did recruit some good athletes, but never really had great size. But guys that could post and, you know, I, mean, I, re- I remember that one of the most effective things they did was use their guys as post players and, and in odd situations. And, and the, the Princeton offense obviously is well known, but it was something that fit for them. And, and they all had that skill set. And when I watched Jokic, you could see him playing for Princeton. <laughs> you know, I mean, he, he's a guy that understands reads. He's never in a hurry. Uh, and, you know, he's got enough low post moves. He can put two, three, or four of you at a time. Eventually, a guy leaves his feet, he's vulnerable, he scores or gets fouled. So it's it's fun to watch him. And, uh, and, and I, you know, I mean, think defensively, he's he's a little bit limited in some areas, and, but he is more sneaky athletic than you think. thing I loved about the other night, I read something a day or two ago, and it was from his teammates that said, he didn't want to go back in a game and score 50. I mean, that tells you about the humility of this guy, his love of the game. and You know, a lot of guys got to put me back in or whatever, I want to get 50, because you know, that's that's kind of a milestone, his first 50-point game. He may, maybe he's had a 50-point game, I don't know. But that's told me a lot about the person as well. So, yeah, he, he's fun to watch. Steve Cleveland joining us. Uh, so he's fun to watch, but he's hard to stop. And the Jazz, PK wants to put away last year, and I don't. The Jazz have lost several high-scoring games to them. Murray was going off in the playoffs. Jokic here. And the Jazz can shoot their 43s, and they can shoot 40%. And that's the plan on how they're supposed to win, but it doesn't seem to work against the Nuggets. Nuggets have beaten them four times in the bubble and now here in this game. So how worried should Jazz fans be? Or should they just say, hey, they'd won 11 in a row and they lost one? Big deal. Or because it's the Nuggets and it fits a trend, is it a bigger deal? Well, you guys are around them all the time, the team. And you also have watched a lot of games. I, I did not – I read about that game. I did not see that game. I didn't have access to that game and because uh, I wanted to watch that game. And But the, the, the interesting statistic for me, and maybe he was in foul trouble, but that Gobert was, was really a non-factor in that game. I mean, he's 12 and 8. I mean, he's usually, you know, 18, 20, and 20. And so I don't know what happened there and if, if uh, the fact that – he got in foul trouble or what the circumstances were. But, yeah, you know what? That's a team they're likely to play, and it could be a first-round game. And so I, I think you definitely have to. I mean, you're not going to worry about it uh, significantly right now because it's not really happening with any other teams. But definitely they're going to have to address some things and watch the film and find out what they can and can't do because that is a team they may have a seven-game series with like they had this year. And so – and you're right. I mean – 
Denver's had the upper hand. So, yeah, I think I, I mean I don't think you sit there and you're so worried about them that you, you forget about everybody else. But I definitely feel like they're going to play them again and could very well play them in the playoffs. And they've got to have a better answer than they have thus far. So that you know, it's, it's in that game. Um, you know, that was the thing that stuck out to me. I thought, man, he was amazing. Well, what, you know, how did how did Gobert play? And uh, you know what? He, he he didn't have a great game. The numbers don't say that he had a great game. But you know, Conley goes for twelve. Mitchell goes for thirteen. O'Neal twelve. Clark's third. I mean, the entire team. Nobody really stepped up. So is it all about uh, the big fella at Denver, or is it the fact that? Uh, you know, the other guys really didn't step up and play. And like you said, I mean, they won 11 in a row. They go on the road. They're pretty ripe for an upset, man. <laughs> you know, against a team that struggled mightily to begin the year, and now it seems to be putting things together. So uh, whether they had an 11-game road trip going on or not, streak going on, uh, there was still going to be a tough to place to play because I, th- I think Denver played more desperate. They played more with a sense of urgency. And uh, it was going to be a tough place to win, no whether he got forty-seven or not. So college is a little different because you don't play near as many games. But in the pros, you know, you you probably got a game within forty-eight hours, so no sense obsessing over it because you got something else to get ready for. Especially this year because there's a high amount of games. Like for instance, in February, Jazz are playing twenty-eight days, playing fourteen games, which I mean, obviously, literally, you're playing every other day. Uh, but in terms of benefiting from a loss, Gobert had said when they lost to the Knicks uh, three weeks ago, he thought it was good for them because that spurred on their 11-game winning streak. Do you buy that losses have positives that you use for whether it's in the immediate future or as you continue to progress along the season? I think good coaches, and the Jazz have good coaches, anytime there's a loss, you, you focus more on – yourself and what we could or should have done and what we didn't do well enough. And I think anytime you go through adversity, it makes you better because there's an attention to detail in the film room. There's an attention to detail in conversations. There's a attention to detail when it refers to accountability. And, you know, maybe it's a situation where the coaching staff comes in and says, you know what, our game plan, we, 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 it wasn't, it wasn't good enough. You know, and I, I think when coaches sometimes take the responsibility as well. I mean, there's times that you got to defer and lay it on the players. Sometimes they, they need to be know they need to know that you're not playing up to expectations. We're better than that. But uh, I know as a coach that there were times when I I came in and I remember our first my first NCAA tournament when we played um, Cincinnati, and you know it was tied in half, and uh, we had a really good team. And, uh, but I made a mistake and, and the mistake I made was my guys ran out of gas in that game. And that was because the coaching staff, the players, everybody's so hyped to be in San Diego that night before the game. And we wanted to get everything in and, you know what, they were a little bit tired and I even, and I didn't know it at the time, but, uh, I, I knew after the game that, uh, I had made a mistake as a coach in preparing them. And I, and I, and you try to learn from those things. And I think sometimes, this is a there's an effort issues there's execution issues there's also preparation issues and the way that they went about guarding him did they make adjustments you know coaches make mistakes too 
and it happens. And we, we, you know, despite all the film and all the preparation, uh, something could have probably been done better to guard him, and that he doesn't drop, you know, almost fifty on him. Uh, and I, I think they'll go back the next time and say, you know what, we're going to take this a little. Not that you're going to change your whole defense, but you're going to take maybe take this away or take that away, and then continue to do the good job we did on the rest of the guys. So sometimes coaches need to step forward as well, and and, I, and they do. I mean, great coaches always do that. They, they they are always sensitive to hey, listen, as players. Our execution level, our effort level, we're playing a lot of games. You know, that it's unacceptable. You gotta give us more. We gotta play maybe we gotta play more people. Uh but at the end of the day when a coach steps up and says, you know what, well, we need to rethink our game plan here. We gotta do some things differently and uh, you know, I'm I take responsibility. Our staff takes responsibility for that as well. So we're in this together. And I think that always helps, makes players feel more I I think it just feels like players know that Hey, I got a, we got a coaching staff that's all in and engaged in this, and uh, they want to win as badly as we do. So I think it's a combination of those things. But most of all, winning 11 games and, and playing night after night, you're going to have nights when you don't play great. And that was one of those nights, and give Denver the credit. Steve Cleveland joining us here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. There are a couple other things that happened over the weekend that uh, caught NBA fans' eyes, and one was Damian Lillard hitting two threes around a jump ball and a trap in the backcourt to, to bail the Blazers out when it looked like they were going to lose in Chicago, You know, down five with ten seconds to go. So I am curious. Now we've all seen Lillard hit these shots and hit him in the regular season, hit him in the playoffs. Everybody knows he's a big-time player. He's certainly undersized for the NBA. He goes sixth in the draft. And, you know, Anthony Davis and Bradley Beal went in front of him, which you can, I think you can understand. But, yep. you know, if you pick Michael Kidd, Gilchrist, Deion Waiters, or Thomas Robinson, you're kicking yourself right now. What do players <laughs> have? You recruited, so you were trying to watch, figure, and it's a different level high school to college rather than college to pro, but you're still trying to project, like, who's got it? What is the it factor? What does it look like when a player doesn't fully have it so everyone knows? But he does have it to the point that somebody knows. What, it, what is that? How do you put your hands on you know that? You uh, know what? So I watched Damon Lilliard play in high school in Oakland. You know, I, I was coaching here, and, and I, I, I know that he wasn't really high on a lot of people's radar. Obviously, he, he ends up in a really, really good program in, in Weber State. But that's not typically the path for a guy that's going to go to the NBA and do the special things he's done. So first of all, guys get better. And, and, and I think that's really true with the guy that I had in Paul George, you know, who uh, you know, was, was, a, was a good high school player, but not a great high school player, and really wasn't really recruited. And then, you know, over time, got stronger and developed his game and got more confidence. So I don't, I don't think people... At the time, a lot of people go, oh, man, we really missed on Damian Lillard. Well, you know, I remember Damian at the Weber. I mean, he, he, he could really play. And by the time he was a senior, he was more confident. His skill set was different, it was, which was the same thing with Paul. But Paul didn't even ascent like Damian did in college because Damian stayed and played in college where Paul left early. But it, it is a, a situation that it's really sometimes really difficult to tell. I mean, you, you can go into uh, to, to a game um, – that and watch games in the summer, and you can kind of see that it factor. You can see guys that play at a different speed and they have different explosiveness, and uh, they they're shot. You know, they shoot it well. They've got you know just have a really a sense of who they are 
and they don't, again they don't they're not in a hurry to do things. They just game comes to them, and uh, and and so with with Damian, I watched him, and he was athletic in high school, and he played hard. He was competitive, you know. And and if you don't have those things to start with. And in the development of talent, you're never going to reach that level in the NBA like like he has. So you you do see it. I mean, I watched hundreds and hundreds of games, uh, and I'm for for a loss of mental breakdown here. There's a young man that that is in that new uh, G League that was one of the three or four players, and he's from Fresno. And I apologize for having a mental lapse here, but uh, a six 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 seven kid that played at uh, San Joaquin Memorial High School here in Fresno. My, that name's going to come to me. I'll probably text it to you when we're done talking. But he's in that G League. He's being paid like $500,000, part of that new development deal. And I remember going into a gym when I first got back to California and watching him play. And he's playing against other high school players, and you just immediately knew he's special. You're talking and about Green? Jalen Green. Yeah, yeah, Jalen Green. Jalen Green, yeah. thank you. And, uh, and, and a great kid. And I remember coming into the gym. This was just a couple years ago and uh, watching Jalen play. And, of course, when you get a guy like that that has all that hype in high school, guys are out to get him. They're going to do anything they can to make themselves look better. And, <clears throat> and, and Jalen had so much poise as a 16-year-old and a 17-year-old. Now, he'd been on the AAU circuit and played with high-level teams against high-level players. He comes back to Central California where – there, there aren't a lot of high-level players, and so the competition. And yet he'd always have two or three guys guarding him, fouling him. And again, just you could see it. He had the it factor. He had the poise. And, you know, he's, he's obviously going to be a pretty good pro when it's all said and done and he gets stronger. But he had it at a really young age. Not everybody has it at a young age, and they develop it. Another young man that I coached for four summers in a row, Bruce Bowen, who would eventually win three NBA championships with the San Antonio Spurs and become almost a 50% three-point shooter when he was playing with them, was I, I coached him four years in high school. And you know what? He was a great kid from Edison High School. I took him every summer to Vegas when I was a high school coach. And, and, and he didn't have it. He, he didn't have it. He wasn't good enough. He eventually, I think he ended up at Fullerton and then found himself in the D-League at the time and in Europe and hopping around. But eventually figured it out and uh, <clears throat> got a chance to play with the, the Spurs and with you know, a great team, and he had a role and uh, had an incredible NBA career. So there is a different path. You see different paths and different opportunities. But he wasn't one of the it guys, but he still made it and had a nice little niche there with the Spurs. Uh, Jalen Green looks like a guy that has the it factor. Will he have the same success that a Bruce Bowen will have or a Damon Lillard? I don't know, but he's got it. And Damon Lillard really didn't have it in high school. He developed it in college in a great collegiate program at Weber State and then as a pro became better and better. And so the path is different for everybody, but I, I know what you're talking about. When you go in and see top ten guys, you go, whoa. <laughs> they, they've got they've got special talent and uh and they they it's kind of like uh bill bradley one of bill bradley most a lot of people aren't going to probably remember bill bradley but i remember reading a book called a sense of where you are 
and did, it was one of my favorite books as a kid. And I didn't read many books, trust me. But he was kind of an idol for me, and it was it was just like he had so much poise, and he was never in a hurry, and and he just he just did great things on the floor at Princeton, and obviously in the NBA. That's what these guys, when you have a hit factor, they have a sense of where they are in that moment. You can do those special things, but some guys have it early on, some develop it, but you know it when you see it. Well, what I took from that answer is if you end up at Fullerton, you really need to re-examine your life cho- choices and refocus. <laughs> we, uh, I'm telling you right now, there, there's no way when, when I watched him play in high school that you would have ever told me that he was going to play in the NBA. Okay? I mean, he had a heart, and he was tough, and he, was, he turned himself into a great – I mean, he was a good defender in high school, but he, didn't, he wasn't shooting the three ball. He didn't have the three ball then. He wasn't shooting it like that. And, uh, but he figured it out. And you're right. The guys are folks are scratching their heads, right? Steve, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. All right, guys. Have a good week. There's Steve Cleveland. He's here every week on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. You ever make fun of anybody for going to Fullerton, PK? Oh, yeah. I won't see a Costner movie. Hate him. Hate him with passion. <laughs> I worked with a ton of guys from Fullerton. They had the, a premier journalism school. A lot of dudes... Uh, who've gone on to big things went uh, came through Fullerton Journalism School. Mark Stein probably is the somebody biggest name you would know. Yep. Uh, but there's plenty of guys uh, in the LA area that I worked with that are the editor of the entire Orange County Register and all the newspaper, which is now a consortium. There's several newspapers. He's a Fullerton guy, and and I had to pretend that I hated Fullerton. So <laughs> Phil Nevitt would come to bat. I would hope he'd strike out. And Justin Turner. All those guys hated him, hated him with a passion. DJ and PK, everything you missed in this show, we will get you up to speed next. Stay with us.